you would go ahead and find with me 3 John verse 2. And then you can go to Galatians chapter 3. How many of you have enjoyed this series on God's will to prosper? Hasn't this... No, that was weak. How many of you have, have enjoyed this teaching? And we know our foundational scripture, 3 John 2. If you're joining us for the first time tonight on internet or even here in the church... We just want to welcome you and, and encourage you to engage tonight. And, and let's learn and let's grow together. I'm believing that the Spirit of God is, is uh, continually increasing, that the anointing of God for us to come up higher and higher, taking us from faith to faith, glory to glory, is increasing. Would you all give Teresa a hand clap? Didn't she do a great job tonight? Thank you all both for your faithfulness and your heart. And uh, Pastor Justin, it's always an honor. Thank you for allowing us to be a part. And my lovely bride sends her love tonight. We have uh, babies at the house. Not, not our babies. They're, they're family babies. And uh, Hey, yeah, I've got to clear, clarify things there. We're, we're three and good. Uh, so it's so good to see you guys. We've, we uh, were in Australia for a couple of weeks. I know several of you followed us while we were over there. And just it was great to see all that God did over there and Lots of salvations, uh, lots of healings. Just God is just so faithful. Um, and this past week, we had over 40 salvations there in Dallas. We had the uh, rodeo finals in town, and, and uh, so that was awesome. And it's just always great to be a part of what God is doing in the kingdom, but it's always fun to be home also. Uh, I know Dr. Savell is talking about being planted and being home and being where we're supposed to be. And, uh, and, and it's so vitally important in the day and age in which we live in that we're, we're drawn on one another, that every joint is supplying in the body of Christ. And, and, and God desires that every joint is healthy and every joint is whole because as you are supplied, then, then it allows you to be a supply. The elbow just doesn't take everything into itself. It's supplied and then it supplies to my hand. And I'm so glad that it does because then my hand's able to work because my elbow's doing its job and, and my, my rotator cuff's doing its job and my heart's doing its job and you're doing your job and you're doing your job and we're doing our job and we're working together to make a difference for the glory of God. Amen? God's will is for us to prosper. Third John chapter 2 says, Beloved, I pray, or I wish, or I desire that you may prosper in all things. In all things. Say, in all things. things. Now, this is God sharing His heart with us. Now, this is something that was handpicked because the Bible says there were things that the disciples did, that Jesus did Himself, that, that there's not room enough to contain them all. But God specifically picked this to be in the Word of God, not as just something He thought, well, this is nice. But this is him revealing his heart to us. And he says, beloved, I I pray, I desire that you prosper. The word prosper means to succeed. I, I pray that you may prosper, succeed in all things, not just some things, in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So we've covered a lot of different things over the past several weeks about God's will is for us to prosper. And we haven't just looked at one verse or two verse. 
we've looked at chapters. We've looked at one person after the next. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And we see the God that they knew was a God that made them rich. And it's the same God that he says, my desire for you is that you prosper and that you be in health even as your soul prospers. Say, God wants me to prosper. God wants me to prosper. Say, God wants me to prosper. God wants me to prosper. In all things. In all things. God, wants God wants me healthy. In all things. In all things. Even, as even as my soul prospers. Now, we know our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotion, correct? And so it's very important that as a, as a body of believers, as God's children, that we begin to think correctly, believe correctly, then we'll begin to talk correctly, and we'll begin to expect correctly, and we'll begin to act correctly. And God is, is sharing with us, I want you to think like you're prosperous. Because when you start to think like you're prosperous, remember he says, it's my will for you that you succeed in all things. It's my will, God's will. This is God speaking to me. This is God's promise to us. This is God speaking to each one of us individually. And he's saying, it's my desire that you succeed in all things. Now, if my mind is thinking prosperous, I'm going to believe prosperous. And if my believing, if I believe that God wants me to prosper, then I'm going to begin to expect to prosper. And if I'm thinking prosperous and believing prosperous and I'm expecting to prosper, then I'm going to start talking prosperous. Therefore, I'm going to act prosperous. But it all starts with our thinking, right? Our life is going to go in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Let's look up here real quick. Proverbs 21, verse 5, in the Amplified Translation, it says, The thoughts, you have that? If not, I'll just read it right here. Proverbs 21, verse 5, it says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Now, God is wanting our thinking right. What does right thinking look like? Right thinking, it says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only, only to plenteousness. Only, say only. So right thinking, say right thinking. thinking. What does that look like? Right thinking looks like a faithful or diligent person tends only to plenteousness. Your mind is turned towards plenteousness. That there's plenty of grace today. There's plenty of mercy today. There's plenty of faith today. There's plenty of provision today. There's plenty of healing today. There is plenty. Now, if my thinking is prosperous and I have right thinking, then I'm going to have right believing. What do I believe with? I believe with my heart. Right believing looks like what? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if my thoughts are prosperous, then my believing is going to be into the degree that I'm believing in God and I'm believing that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So if my thinking is right and my believing is right, then I'm going to start to expect to prosper. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, it says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So as we're renewing our mind to the truth that it is God's will for me to prosper, say it's God's will for me to prosper. 
And as we're renewing our mind, our thinking is going to tend only to plenteousness and our believing is going to believe in the God who, who is the same of Abraham, the same of Isaac, the same of Joseph, the same of Jacob. Our believing is going to be to the degree that he is the rewarder of me because I diligently seek him. He is your rewarder. Say, he is my rewarder. And so if I'm thinking plenteous and I'm believing that he's the rewarder, then whenever I put my hand to something, what am I going to begin to expect? To prosper. Right? I encourage you to start expecting to prosper. But prosperity just doesn't start outside. It starts in here in our mind, our will, and our emotions. Correct? Now, our covenant of prosperity is that we have the blessing. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no trouble to it. We have the blessing. Say, I have the blessing. The blessing is an empowerment to move forward. The blessing is an empowerment to overcome. The blessing is His super on our natural. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Say, He's making me rich. He adds no trouble to it. So not only is the blessing of the Lord ours, say it's mine, but also the blessing of Abraham is ours, say it's mine. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, verse 29. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now the curse is an empowerment to fail. The blessing is an empowerment to prosper. The curse is an empowerment to fail. And it says Christ has redeemed us from the empowerment to fail. In other words, he has bought us back from the empowerment to fail. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing, say the blessing, of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, And if you are Christ, are you Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you accepted Christ? If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? What promise? That you have the blessing? That in you all nations of the earth will be blessed because you're in Christ and Christ is in you? We have the blessing not only of the Lord, we have the blessing of Abraham. You can look at... Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14 and see the blessing. You can look verses 15 through 64, 65 and see what the curse looks like. So we have the blessing. Say, I have the blessing. And so we've been looking at, you know, all these different people of how the the God that they knew. And that the God that they knew made them rich. But also we looked at the men that God knew. And we saw the type of man that God could bless in Abraham and the type of man that God could bless in Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And we've looked at our covenant of prosperity. And as a child of God, it is our right to increase. It is our right to move forward. It is our right to, to, to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. It is our right as children of God. Now let's look at King David. Say King David. Go just to the right to Revelations. Now, as we begin to look at the different kings, look at the good kings, this is a type. This, these are examples of the way you and I should live. Revelations chapter 1, verses 5, it says, And Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings, say kings, 
of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. Now notice this, to him who loved us. Does he love you? And washed us from our sins. Has he washed you from his sins? Now this is the same God, verse 6, and has made us kings. So the same God who washed us in his blood, the same God who loves us, is the same God who makes us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to say it again. The God who loves us, say he loves me. The God who washed us in his blood, same God, right? Same God, is the same God who has made us kings and priests unto our God. Now, when you think of a king, what do you think, think about? You think wealth? I was asking our youngest daughter, what do you think about when you think of a king? She says, chubby. <laughs> I said, eh, that's an undisciplined king. We, let, let's don't think of a king like that. When you think of king, what do you think of? You think of throne, you think of jewels, you think of the nicest, you think of the best, you think of dominion, you think of authority, you think of ruling, you think of reigning, you think of victory, you think of estates, you think of lands, Right? But when you think about yourself, how do you think? Notice Jesus didn't say in John 14, verse 2, in my Father's house there are many efficiencies. He said, no, there are many mansions. Many mansions. You know how over, I don't know if overwhelms the right word, but how in awe we're going to be when we begin to see the detail in our mansions that he's custom built for you and I. That just continually it's going to be, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, knowing every detail of what you like and what I like and and every design and, and just everything because he loves you, the same God who loves you is the same God who washed you in his blood, is the same God who has made you a king. And he's the same God that's building your mansion, the mansion of a king, of a king. So what do you, remember, let's go back to our thinking, because if I begin to think like a king, I'll start believing like a king, and I'll start expecting like a king, and I'll start acting like how? Who did he make to be a king? Revelations 19, verse 16, just to the right of where we're at. Now, I think it's interesting that the people, uh, a lot of the people that, that argue this message about God's will to prosper, will argue back if, if you or I were to sit down with them and we were to try to convince them that there might be some sickness in heaven. That there might be some lack in heaven. That there might be some sorrow or some pain in heaven. Do you think you could convince them of that? They would get fighting mad, wouldn't they? 
because that's God's will, right? In heaven, that there's no sickness. It's God's will that there's no pain. It's God's will that there's no lack. It's God's will in heaven that there's no sorrow. But when it comes to earth, God might have a different will. Indicating that there is two wills. But how, how did Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Letting us know that there aren't two wills, there's one will. And if it's his will for us to be blessed and healed and prosperous like a king in heaven then it's His will for us to walk healthy and wealthy and whole and wise on earth. He says His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And He said, I I see you as a king in heaven, therefore you are made to be a king on earth. Revelations 19 verse 16, And He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, King of who? And Lord... So our king is the king of who? Kings. Who's he talking about? Us. He's Lord of... Who's he talking about? So if he's coming back with kings, we're going to come back as kings. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. When you think of kings, what do you think? You think rule. You think dominion. You think subdue. You think reign. You think overcome. You think wealth. You think riches. You think victory. You think success. You think kick tail. You think list goes on and on, right? Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 in the Amplified. It says, God said, let us, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image. Now, he's the king of who? He says, now let us make man in our image. What is his image? He is a king. His image, he made us in his image after our likeness. What is his likeness? Like a king, the word likeness means to function as, to operate as who? As God, as king, as ruler, as reigner. He says, and we are made in his image. Image of who? What does his image look like? King, ruler, dominion, authority, reigner, victorious, wealthy, healthy, wise, successful. And he says, now my desire is that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is still that way in heaven, right? It hasn't changed. Therefore, his will is the same on earth right now. It says, and make us after our likeness. Let them have complete authority. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beast, over all the earth and over every creeping thing upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. What is his image? A king. Picture this. reason I'm going to continue to go around it because we've got to change the way we think in order to change the way we live. How do you see yourself? We can't be moved by what we see in the natural right now. We can't be moved by how we feel in the natural right now. We're all a work in progress. We're all at different places, right? But as we're sitting under the Word of God, God is watching over His Word to perform it in our life. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So in order for us to think different, we've got to hear something different. In order for us to believe on new levels, we've got to hear on new levels. Remember what John said, the Lord said, come on up here, come up, come up here, John, come up. In other words, I have a different perspective than you have. And God is wanting us to start seeing ourselves as kings. 
Now, if we're coming back as kings and he created us in his image as a king. So we started in the image of a king, him desiring that we live and think and subdue and rule and have dominion and authority like a king. And we're coming back as a king. Now, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were separated from our kingship. But Jesus came to bring us back into our place to not only start as kings, but to live life as a king and to come back as kings. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one much more surely. Much more surely. Will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with themselves, reign as kings? In life through one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, reign as kings. Reign as kings. God has created us to reign as kings. In order for us to reign as kings and rule as kings and subdue like kings and to walk in dominion like kings, we've got to think like kings and believe like kings and talk like kings and expect like kings. Now, King David, he didn't start out as King David. Go with me to 1 Samuel 18. First Samuel chapter 18, say thank God for the word. Now Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? Now, not only are we seeing the God of David, but we're also seeing the man that David was... That was the man after God's own heart. In order for us to think like kings, believe like kings, talk like kings, expect like kings, live like kings. Because we're created in the king's image, right? And he gave us the same dominion and authority for us to operate as kings on the earth. Even though we were separated from our kingship, you've accepted Jesus, right? Therefore, you are designed to rule and reign in this life through one man, Christ Jesus. Now, King David in Psalm 1 Samuel chapter 16, he was anointed as king. So let's not only look at the God that David served, let's look at the man that David was. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're just going to kind of give a quick uh, backstory here. He wasn't wasn't invited to the pick a king party. (laughs) The prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house and... The Lord tells him it's time to anoint a new king. And so he goes, and sure enough, everybody thought that he would, you know, anoint the oldest because he had the stature, and it was the birthright of the oldest. And, and as one son after another come before the prophet, he said, none of these are the, are the next king. Do you have any more? He says, yeah, I've got one, one son that's out in the field, but he's just a lad. And, and so he wasn't even invited to the party. All, all the other brothers were invited to the party. But as soon as he walked in, the prophet Samuel said, that's our man right there. And the Bible says, from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord became mighty upon David. Now, notice that David just didn't go out and start handing out his business cards, the next king of Israel. What did he do? He went back and he was faithful. Faithful 15 years from the time he was anointed king before he stepped in to being the king. He was faithful. 
What was he faithful doing? He went back and he was faithful to serve his dad and to work the sheep. He was faithful to serve King Saul. And and he took his guitar in there, his little harp in there. And he'd begin to worship the Lord when the evil spirit would torment King Saul. And he would worship. He was faithful. Say faithful. He was faithful to his dad. He was faithful to the king. He was just faithful. Using what he had. Doing what he knew to do. He was faithful. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man abounds with Blessing King David, a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 17, what do you see happen? He kills Goliath. After he kills Goliath, even before then, he was in the king's palace. But once he killed Goliath, he was brought in to the kingship of the king. And here he was, they're coming back from battle. And the women meet him out there with the tambourines. You know, they're singing and they're worshiping and they just start to sing. David, uh, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And it struck Saul. And the person that Saul used to adore and embrace, the Bible says that was the day that he started becoming jealous of David because they only... Connected a thousand to King Saul, but ten thousand to David. And from that day forward, David was on the run. He was on the run for his life, but he would never stop being faithful. He never stopped being honorable to the authority God had placed him under. He never uh, got out of God's timing. Picture this for a moment. Picture, picture the calling and the assignment on King David, king of Israel. And as you track David's life and you see him being a fugitive and you see him running from King Saul and you see him tending the sheep and you see him on the worship team and you see him killing Goliath and you see him hiding in the cave and you see him hiding by the river and you see him coming into the palace and out of the palace and Saul trying to stab him with javelins and you see his life on the line. God never, picture this, God never shrunk his assignment. God never shrunk his calling and God won't shrink your calling just because you feel uncomfortable. He expects us to grow into who we're created to be. And sometimes, oh, bless the Lord. What are we saying? God, please shrink my assignment and my purpose to make it feel comfortable on me. He'll never do it. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily grow into everything he's called and created us to be, but that's his heartbeat. What has God called and created you to do? Are you still growing into that assignment? Because when you stop growing, you stop going. That's why it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. 1 Samuel 18, here we are. You see, the, you see the backlight of this. Saul's become jealous of David. Now he wants him to be his son-in-law with the motive of killing him, of taking him out. And so here we are in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 22. And Saul commanded his servants to speak to David privately, 
Say to the king, delights in you and all his servants love you. Now then become his son-in-law. Saul's servants told those words to David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. So notice how David, King David, king, say king, started out as a poor man. He said, I started out seeing I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed. In other words, he was, because King Saul during that time, they would bring gifts to the king. In, in return, they would get the daughter. He was coming to King Saul saying, I'm a poor man. I don't have the estate and I don't have the credit to take care of your daughter the way she's used to being taken care of. So King Saul says, no problem. Because his motive was he wanted to take David out. He says, no problem. He says, so instead of you bringing me a gift, I know you don't have the money to bring me a gift. This is what I want you to do. Instead of a gift, I want you to bring me 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Can't you see him to his advisors and everything? Thinking, There's no way. He is going to get taken out. The Philistines are going to take him out. Why didn't he say that he wanted the Philistines' heads? Because at this time, because jealousy is an evil thing. Pride is an evil thing. And so King Saul thought at this time, if he would have told him to go get a hundred of the heads of the Philistines, he would have went out and got a hundred of, of King Saul's army and brought it back, and King Saul wouldn't even know. So he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, because he knew that David would get taken out. I mean, think about it. All right, boys, you got the knife sharp? But the Bible says that request please David. Then it goes on to say that David didn't just bring back 100 foreskins. He brought back 200 foreskins. Showing that the God that I serve is greater. And showing his love for the king's daughter, Michal. Let's keep going. Verse 28 and 30. And when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And that Michal, his daughter, loved him. Saul still more afraid of David. And Saul became David's constant enemy. Then the Philistine prince came out to battle, and when they did so, David, more success. David had more success, say more success, and behaved himself more wisely, say more wisely, than all Saul's servants, so that his name was very dear and highly esteemed. Say highly esteemed. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. As you're making your way over there. You can see after this time, David became Saul's constant enemy. David was on the run for his life. He would come in and out of the palace um, all the way up till it got to the point that David told Jonathan and told everybody else, I want David dead. You do whatever you have to do to kill David. And so here David is, he had come in and Jonathan would rescue him. He'd talk his dad out of killing him. And sure enough, David would come back into the palace and he'd come after him with the javelins again. And finally, David got to the point. He says, this is, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines and I'm going to live over there. So hopefully, because I'm out of Israel, that King Saul will quit pursuing me. So he goes over into the land of the Philistines and here he is, he's, he's honoring, he goes to the King Achish. After, after he'd been at the cave of Dolom, whenever he went to cave of Dolom, here at 400 men that were discontented, indebted, people started coming to him. And so God starts rebuilding his life. Now picture this. He started getting ahead. He was serving his father. He was serving the king. He killed Goliath. Things were going good. The enemy tried to wipe him out, tried to kill him, tried to take his life, right? Here he goes. He's on his run as he goes to the cave because when God is in you and God is with you, no man can take you down. 
And even while he was in the cave, God started bringing people and land and cattle and flocks to David. He started to increase again. And then he goes to Achish, and here, here Achish is, and, and David says, I want to fight. I want to fight uh, on your side, the, fight, the side of the Philistines, Achish. He's served him for a couple of years. And he knew, and, and David said, you know, there's no reason for you and I to be in the same city. You're a king, and here I am, you know, with all these people. So the king gave him his own city called Ziklag. And so they're in Ziklag, but they all get together. The Philistines, the armies, they're fixing to go against King Saul and all his armies. And the king was fine with it, but what happened was all the others, the Bible said, as they started to come in, all the other soldiers began to look. Now, isn't that David? Isn't that the one that took out Goliath? And now he's on our side, so they, they weren't okay with it because they thought that they were going to get in the middle of battle and David was going to turn and come against them and take them out. So the king says, hey, Dave, you know, I know there's nothing... There's nothing wrong in your motives or your heart. I'm for you, but the other guys, they're not good. So this is where we're at now. They've left. So here, here David is. He wasn't recognized by his dad. Here David is. He wasn't recognized by his king anymore. He had served faithfully, but he had been faithful, right? Say faithful. faithful. And here he is serving this other king, and the guys don't want him to be on the, the team. Kind of like whenever you use a little kid and you use the last one picked. <laughs> and I just want to play kickball. Somebody pick me? So here we are in, in, in 1 Samuel 30. What do you do whenever the enemy is trying to destroy you? What do you do when the enemy is trying to destroy you? So he shows back up at Ziklag. Verse 3. Now what happened at Ziklag? He come back and I mean shish kebab. The town was burned down. The women and children were taken. Let's pick it up in verse 3. So David and his men came to the town, and behold, it was burned, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the men with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Now, these weren't crying, whiny babies. I mean, these were warriors. It's not like they walked around with tissue hanging out their pocket. Oh, oh, Rudy, let me dot your little tear. You have a little something in your eye. No, I mean, you, you track the record. I mean, they took out lines, fur flying. I mean, they would kick tail and take names, right? And it says that they began to weep until they had no more strength to weep. Verse 5, David's two wives also had been taken captive. Um, Ahanom, you know those words. Oh, oh, Jill and Betty and Abigail and the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Notice this, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed. Say, greatly distressed. For the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of the men were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What did David do? He encouraged himself and strengthened himself in the Lord. What What do you do when the enemy is trying to take you out? What do you do whenever the enemy is trying to destroy your life? Remember, here he had come. He'd come from nothing. He increased a little bit. The enemy tried to take him out. Here he come. God increased him, restored his life. Enemy tried to take him out. Here we come and everything he has is gone. What do you do when the enemy tries to destroy your life? We've got to become experts in encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Sometimes you got to get a hold of yourself because we want to pray and we want to ask God all these things and that's right. But sometimes you've got to encourage yourself to the point where you can hear God. 
Because you're not in any shape to hear God sometimes. You're so hurt and so broken and so down and so out. And sometimes you've got to look in the mirror and you've got to get a hold to yourself and say, come on, what do you got to use? Let's use it. What do you got to use? You've got a mind. What are you thinking on? You've got a heart. Are you using it to believe God or are you using it to doubt? You've got a mouth. What are you speaking? Come on. Go, go to Psalms. Hold your place there. Go to Psalms 42. We'll see how David handled this in this in this process. What do you do in your darkest hour? What do you do when the enemy is trying to take you out? You you encourage yourself in the Lord. Psalm forty two verse eight: The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me. You know, in dark times, you've got a song in your heart that you've got to let out. You know, sometimes you might not sound good, I might not sound good, but you've got you've to dig down and you've got to find that song. You've got to find that song. If it's just this whooping on your leg, you know, if it's just the spoons, if it's a jug, whatever it is, you've got to dig down. Sometimes when you don't feel like it, you, you've got to close your eyes and you've got to go inward and you've got to find that song. I don't care where I'm at. I don't care where I, what I'm facing. I know that God is in me. God is for me. God is on That's my right. side. That's I know God Almighty watches over yes. His Word. Yes. Sometimes we got to get a hold of ourselves. Right. we got to find that inner song in the nighttime. And he goes on and he says, And in the night His song shall be with me in a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now picture this. Here David is and all the men, the men are wanting to stone him. His wife, his kids, his cattle, his resources, everything he had believed God for his whole life was gone. And he goes on to say in verse 10, As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? I'm sure some of these men that were following him were saying, okay, where's this God you talk about? Where's this God you sing about? Where's this God you go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday? Where's this God? Why is your life like it is? Why is this happening to you? If it happened to you, well, I don't have a chance. Where is your God? You ever been there? And he goes on in verse 11. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Why, 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 soul, your mind, will, and emotion? Why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Why are you believing the way you're believing? Why are you talking the way you're talking? Come on now, look what he goes on to say. Hope in God. In other words, he starts talking to himself. Why, why, soul, why? Well, I'll tell you why. My family was destroyed. All my resources were taken. I'm afraid. All the men that I've led, they want to kill me. But you know, if you go down that road and you start listing the why, oh my soul, are you cast down? You know, the devil will sit right here on your shoulder and he'll start to add to your list. Well, this... And this, and this, and this. This is why you're thinking this way. This is why you're, oh, you forgot about this. And this, and this, and you don't have this, and you can't do this, and there's no way for this, and there's no way. There's no way. It's a lie. Everything that God said, it's a lie. The Bible don't work. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Question mark, question mark, questioning the character and nature of God. What did David do in this situation? He got a halt. 
of his soul. And he goes on in verse 11. He says, hope in God. In other words, David, the real David, you listen to me. You're going to hope in God. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to talk about why this and why that. You're going to go back to what you know. And you know the same God that delivered you from the bear. And the same God that delivered you from the lion. And the same God that anointed you and appointed you to take down Goliath. is the same God who is with you right now. David, get a hold of yourself. There's times we got to grab ourselves by the back of the neck and look in the mirror and say, what are you doing? See, it's only doers that get results. Only doers of the word. He said, this is what you're going to do, David. You're going to hope in God. You're going to hope. You're going to confidently expect. You're going to expect the same God who birthed you, the same God who delivered you, the same God who protected you, the same God who provided you. David, get a hold of yourself. Hope in God. Expect God to show up. What do you do when the devil tries to destroy your life? I relate. I relate to David. You know, a little over six years ago now, I'd, I've been in the, of course, I've been in the ministry going on, you know, almost 19 years now, but I'd, you know, I'd rodeoed professionally up to 2000, and after that, I totally got out of the rodeo world, and I started, I started several different churches, overseeing churches, and um, kind of like, like David, you know, you see how he started getting ahead, the enemy tried to take him out and get ahead, the enemy tried to take him out and get ahead. And, and for almost eight years, the, the ministry that I was serving in, every year in October, I would seek the Lord about, are we doing what we're supposed to do? And every year he said, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, when you are faithful with another man's vision, it empowers you to have a vision that is God-birthed. Yeah. Yeah. But 2009, when I was seeking the Lord, he says, I, I want you to go back and travel and minister again, and I want you to start rodeoing again. And my first answer was, no way, Lord. <laughs> Because to compete at the level I compete at, these guys haven't taken nine years off. I mean, their mental game is sharp. Their everything that they have is sharp. I totally got rid of everything. And so when I had it settled in my heart that that's what I was going to go back, this is what God wanted me to do. Got the churches in place for me to go back traveling. In June, I took off rodeoing and stuff again, traveling minister and going all over the country. But I went from having that secure salary that was there all the time to nothing. No partners in the ministry, no sponsors in the rodeo world, nothing. I mean, all I had was the Word of God. Went from good money to, to no money. And within four months, I, I come home and the lady that I was married to at the time, she decided she was going to live a different life in a different way. I'd done really good on some real estate deals um, before that, but I'd come to find out that all that had been stolen, taken, misplaced, put in different places, different situations. And like David, I felt like my whole town had burned down. That time, because I didn't have any money that could show for, because I had no partners in the ministry, none of that stuff, I had no financial portfolio at that time because everything had been taken I couldn't go after my kids, even though I could have if I would have had that part of my life to show for it. So I didn't have my kids. I didn't have a house. All I had is my truck, a two-horse trailer, and two horses. And I remember I had a friend that let me, and of course, remember, it seemed like I had everything together, increasing. We'd been part of daily television show for over a year, had all this stuff going on. But then like David... My life was in shambles. I remember being so afraid. Like, Lord, what, what, what do I do? I don't have my kids. I don't have money. I had a friend that let me live in his barn for a year. 
And I remember doing just what David did. I remember, what do you got to use? You've got a mind. Use it. What do you got to use? You've got a heart. And I'm going to believe with my heart. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'm going to, I have a heart. I'm going to use it. I have a mouth. I'm going to use it. What would I tell somebody else to do? I would tell them to hold on to the Word. I'd tell them to connect their mind to the Word. I'd tell them to fill their heart full of the Word. I'd tell them to declare the Word. And I remember being so afraid and... And tears, I mean, just torment coming over your mind because you don't know if you're going to see your kids again. You don't have any money. You have, you have nothing. But then you have everything. I remember sitting in my little cot and having my Bible. I said, I feel in the natural, it looks like I don't have anything. Come on. But I know I have everything. I started getting a hold of my soul, just like David. You listen to me, Trey. This is what you're going to do. You're going to connect your mind to the Word. This is what you're going to do. You're going to believe God's Word. This is what you're going to do. You're going to declare God's Word. This is what you're going to do. Go back to 1 Samuel 30. And in verse 7, after verse 6, David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abathar the priest... Ahimelech's uh, son, I pray you bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought him the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? The Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So not only did he encourage himself in the Lord, then what did he do? He inquired of the Lord. He asked God, Do I pursue? Do I overtake? Do I recover all? God answered him, yes, pursue, you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, this is a bonus, you will recover all. So then in verse 9, so then David went, he and the 600 men. Now this is something to me, because here you have all these men wanted to kill him. The same men that wanted to kill him, he goes and spends time with God. He comes out, can you just picture the speech that he gave? You can picture the vision that he casted you. You can picture the anointing of God upon his life because they knew if David got along with God and he come out and he said, men, let's go. They knew we're going. And it says that they went. The same men that keep wanted to kill him are now the same men that are going right along with him. Go down to verse 18. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. Now, this is the thing right here. Notice that here David got direction from God, and he didn't know where they, he didn't know where they were, but he started to take a step. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to do, but you take a step. Because God, that's what faith is. You take a step, and then the next step comes, and the next step comes, and the next situation comes, and the next relationship comes, and the next divine opportunity comes. But you got to take the step. A lot of times we want God to show us the whole picture, but he knows the whole picture, but he isn't going to show you the whole picture. He just wants you to take a step. Amen. Now, from time to time, he'll give you a glimpse of what that big picture looks like, but then he reels it back in and says, okay, how about today? Just take a step. Take a step. David began to take a step, and he ran into this young man that they had left, and he began to feed him up, and they showed him, that young man showed him exactly where the enemy was. And in verse 18, it says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. Verse 19, nothing was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David recovered all. Also, David captured all the flocks and herds which the enemy had, and the people drove those animals before him and said, This is David's spoil. 
David recovered all because he encouraged himself in the Lord. He recovered all because he inquired of the Lord. He recovered all because he did what God told him to do. So I want to encourage you to encourage yourself in the Lord. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord, inquire of the Lord what he wants you to do. But then you got to do it. And as you do it, he said that David recovered all. He, he, he not only recovered everything that he had, but he also recovered everything that was enemies. Now, for time's sake, you go forward. Well, I'm just going to read this first. Because um, you, you see the type of man that David was. Verse 22. Then all the wicked and base men who went with David said, Because they, they did not go with us, we will give them nothing of spoil. We have recovered, except that every man lead away his wife and children and depart. David said, you shall not do so, my brethren, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and he has delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as is the share of him who goes into battle, so shall the share be who stays by the bag. They shall share alike. Notice David's heart. He says, listen, God is the one who blessed us. God is the one who increased us. And the guys who stay by the bag, they're going to get just as much as the guy who went to battle. That was David's heart. He goes on in verse 25. And from that day is made a statute and an ordinance of Israel. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to the elders. Another characteristic of David. He sent gifts unto the elders and his friends, saying, here is a gift for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. So you see, David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. Um, he did what God told him to do. Whenever he got blessed, everybody around him got blessed. You see, David, go to Second Samuel, and we're getting ready to be done. Second Samuel, chapter 6, just quickly. Another thing about David. David was a worshiper. So you see, so what kind of man did God see in David? A man after his own heart? He saw a man that was faithful. Say faithful. He was a man that was a warrior. He was a man that was a giver. He was a man that was a blesser. He was a man that was an overcomer. He was a man that sought God with all of his heart. First, uh, Second Samuel chapter 6. What's happened? The ark is being restored back to Israel. Uzzah reaches up, grabs the ark. He dies. The ark goes into Obadidim's house. David hears that Obadidim's house. Isn't that a cool name, Obadidim? Say that with me, Obadidim. Doesn't that kind of feel good on your lips? Anyway. So here's that Obadidim's house is getting blessed. And so David goes and he gets dark and he starts to restore it. And he is just pumped up. And it says, you know, he would take six steps. Six represents the number of man. He would take six steps this time because the first time he got the plan of God. God said, I want you to restore the ark back to Israel. So he just, okay, God, I got it. He took off. Didn't look back, didn't inquire again, didn't, he just took off. And sure enough, the ox stumbled, Uzzah grabbed the ark, Woo, he was dead. David was ticked. He got his heart right, went back. Remember, because he's a man after God's own heart. There's no backing off in David. Say, there's no backing off. There's no quitting, David. There's no throwing in the towel. I didn't say that David sucked his thumb over there, pulled his ear, felt sorry for himself. No, David had a habit of encouraging himself in the Lord. He was an expert at encouraging himself in the Lord. And so this time, he was restoring the ark, and he would take six steps, and then he would stop. And he would go back and he would say, Lord, is everything okay? Are you and I good? And he'd take six more steps, and then he would stop. Not assuming that he knew everything, but his footsteps were going to be ordered by God, and he would stop. Lord, is everything good? And he was dancing, and he was boogieing, and he got off the, the train there and hands his priestly robe to the men. Let's look at this, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Another characteristic about David, he's a worshiper. Say, he's a worshiper. 
He danced before the Lord with all of his might, clad in a linen ephod, a precepter garment. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Verse 17, 18, he comes in and David, he just begins to bless the Lord. Gave an offering after, I mean, he was a worshiper. He was a giver. He's given offerings to the Lord. You go on in verse 18, and David had finished offering the burnt offerings, the peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name and the presence of the Lord of hosts. So now not only did he bless the Lord, but now he's blessing the people. Verse 19, he distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women to each cake of bread, a portion of meat, cake of raisins. So all the people departed each to his house. Verse 20, David returned to bless his own household. So David blessed the Lord. David blessed the people. He was a blesser. Say he was a blesser. He was a giver. He was a worshiper. Now he comes home to bless his own house. Verse 20. And his wife, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who stripped himself of his kingly robes and uncovered himself in the eyes of his servants, made as one of the worthless fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. In other words, David was getting in trouble. Right? Verse 21, and David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to stand before you. And I'm not going to stand before anybody else. When I was dancing, it was before the Lord. And he goes on to say, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. And all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. Therefore will I make Mary impure in judgment before the Lord. And I will be still more lightly esteemed than this. And will humble and lower myself in my own sight and yours. But by the maids you mentioned, I will be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child of the day of her death. Notice this. David was a worshiper. And he worshipped because he knew the God who had rescued him. He knew the God that had saved him. He knew the God that had delivered him. And he worshipped God and honored God with offerings. And then he blessed the people around him. David was generous. If he got blessed, the people around him got blessed. And he danced and he worshipped. And he got a hold to himself. See, he found that inner song. They asked David, David, what do you want to do today? Hey, how about let's, 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 let's just cut a rug. <laughs> David, what do you want to do today? Hey, let, let's have a praise-a-thon. See, David, that's who it was. It was him. It was his DNA, the heart of David, a man after God's own heart. God had restored his life. He went from a shepherd to one of the richest kings of the earth. And I don't say this much, and, and I've, I've really, and I'm not going to struggle with it because my God is a good God, and over the past six years... God, I went from no house to now I have two houses. I went from one trailer to trailers. Why? First and foremost, because it's just the goodness of God. And you see my lovely warrior princess, I call her, every service with me. And every time I look at her, 
I just think that is, that's the goodness of God. That God loves me to watch over his word. And I remember those times when all I had was his word. And I made the decision, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to think on God's word. And all I had was his word. And you know what I'm going to do with his word? I'm going to believe his word. And all I had was his word. And you know what I was going to do with my mouth, even with tears running down my face? I'm going to declare the goodness of God that he watches over his word to perform it. God, you're faithful. You're faithful. And I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to take a step. And I'm thankful. For a God that I know, the same God that blessed David is the same God who blesses me, is the same God who's restored my life, continues to restore my life. But we've got to give God something to work with. You've got a mind, what are you doing with your mind? You've got a heart, what are you doing with your heart? You've got a mouth, what are you doing with your mouth? You see David who was a worshiper. You see David who was a praiser. You see David who was a giver. You see David who was a blesser. You see David, a man that had it full throttle after the heart of God. First Chronicles, and I'll end right here. I'll just read it to you. First Chronicles 29, verse 28. And he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. David went from a shepherd boy to a billionaire. And today, some people say that his estate that he passed on to Solomon was three billion, with a B. And some say it was up to ten billion. Because a man that never backed off in his relationship with God. Remember, we're going to think right, we're going to believe right, we're going to speak right, we're going to expect right, and we are going to expect to prosper because it is God's will for us to prosper in the name of Jesus. Did you get something out of the Word tonight? Praise God. Father, we just love you so much, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. And sometimes we feel like we have nothing in the natural, really. We have everything that we need, and it's you. It's you. Father, I declare the great breaking loose in our houses, in our homes, in our businesses, and the same God that restored David, the same God that's restored my life, is the same God that's restoring every person represented tonight, every family represented tonight, every business represented tonight. Father, you're good and you're faithful to your word. And Father, like David, we're going to dance before you. We're going to shout before you because you're the only one that matters. When we stand, we're going to stand before you, not people. Father, we love you. And we're thankful for what you're teaching us, that it is your will for us to prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor.